You've seen her comedy concerts in all the big cities, like Zorro, Ohio at the Elks Lodge, at bingo halls in Stockholm, Wisconsin, and working the retirement home in Louisiana, Missouri. And now you hear her thoughts on her No Reason podcast. Here's Nola J, the chocolate blonde, on the No Reason podcast. Welcome to the No Reason Podcast. I'm your host, Nola J, aka Chocolate Blonde. I hope everyone had a great week. I had a great week. It was pretty um, non-eventful. Um, this is part two of last week's podcast where I had my dad on, Kenny International Walker, reminiscing about two of his bandmates, musicians, and friends that have passed away um, in the last few months, um, James Ingram and Harvey Scales. So we're going to continue on with that and before we get started I have a brief little moment that of course my dad and I are discussing my favorite topic in sports the Milwaukee Bucks so we'll go ahead and um, get into all that for a few minutes and then we'll get back into him reminiscing about his bandmates and his friends the Bucks are going all the way we still number one uh, yeah the, I just NBA. watched and beat uh beat Golden State really bad. They just beat Minnesota really bad uh, yesterday. And and, and and what's his name wasn't even playing? The bearded man, uh, Harden. Oh, you talking about Houston? Houston, Houston, Golden State. Yeah, Houston beat Golden State yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was confused. I'm like, the Bucks played Minnesota yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well, the Bucks. yeah, they, they, they're supposed to win. Yeah, so what do you think? We're going to finally make it to the, the second round of the playoffs? Oh, we're going we're gonna to beat everybody in the East. We ain't got to – can't nobody no, beat us. We're going to the championship. We're going to the championship. Oh. Yeah. We're okay. going all the way. Okay. All right. I think we are too. I think we're going to the championship. Um, and we got a 50-50 chance of beating Golden State. Yeah, we do. Yeah, this is gonna be good. They keep sleeping the bucks. They won't talk about us. They're not bragging about us. They try to ignore us. Stephen A. Smith finally said something. He said, "Uh, the bucks is coming out of. I believe the bucks is coming out of the East, or or whatever conference. Who's in the championship? What do they? How do they do that? Uh, what do you mean? Uh, you mean who's gonna be the champs of the Eastern Division? Yeah, he said the bucks. That's a- he says it's probably going to be the Bucks. No, no kidding, Stephen. Of course it's going to be us. We beat, we killing everybody. Yeah, he's trying to get ahead. Of, you know, he always try to get ahead. He's looking at and going, "Ooh, wow, nobody's saying that." I'll say it now. Right. Do you think because LeBron is out of the Easter and that's why, or you think LeBron would have made no difference this in the Eastern Division? Oh no, he would have made no difference this year. <laughs> Who was he with? Cleveland? Nah, he he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have mattered. Toronto was the only one. Toronto and Boston, the only one that matters now. And we beat, but we just beat Boston. Everybody's wondering if we're gonna come back off an All Star break and beat Boston. We beat Boston with no problem. Yeah, yeah that that was a close one. 
But that's how that's how it's gonna be for fighting for the Eastern Championship. Okay, that was our brief talk about the Milwaukee Bucks being champs in the Eastern uh, Division. I'm not quite sure what me and my dad was talking about. I don't think we was on the same page. I'm not quite sure what he was talking about, but hey, we got through it. The bottom line is the Bucks are the champs. Now let's continue on talking about James Ingram and Harvey Scales with Kenny International Walker. Oh, I'm sorry. Hello, is it somebody there? Hey, Pops, what's up? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> Good. I was just playing over some scales. Oh, oh, of course you were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so uh, what are you up to? I'm giving you a call so we can continue our talk about James Ingram and Harvey Scales. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, good friends of mine. What did you What did you want to know? You were telling us about how James Ingram was in your band. So you could continue on about the band he was in that was yours. Oh, yeah. He was with us, a uh, band out of Milwaukee. We started off as a, the New Breed Band, Alan Butler and the New Breed Orchestra. That was our original name. We changed a different bag. We moved to Memphis. We were on Stacks. And then we moved to Los Angeles. And we were uh, getting ready to work on this movie score, Dolomite. Um, and we met James. Uh, he worked on it with us. He worked on half of it with his band. He came out of Akron, Ohio with a group called uh, Revelation Funk. They did the half of the score, and we did the other half. I guess they broke up and. um James didn't really want to move back to Akron, Ohio. So he joined up with us, and he, he remained there in Los Angeles where he, he uh, eventually uh, met Quincy Jones, and it's all history from there, you know. Well, I got a quick question. First of all, what years was this that you are talking about? Uh, 1974 is when we ran into James. We left uh, here in 1970 in Milwaukee. We left Milwaukee in 1970, September, September in 1970. Somebody said, go west and, and seek your fame and fortune. So, well, we went south first. We went, to, we went to Stax, and Stax seemed to be going bankrupt by the time we left. So we said, well, somebody said, go west. So we went west. You so know. Stax, Stax? Back in the day, was a very popular record label. It was a good record label. Was it known before it went bankruptcy? Oh, Stax! You know, Stax was back in the in the sixties. That was uh, it was Stax and Motown. Those were the two. Actually, they were, those were the two black owned uh record uh, record companies. They don't call them major because you have to be capital or somebody to be major but 
they were called independent, but they were big. They were huge. Uh, stacks of Motown was huge. That's where you tried to go. Atlanta was all right. Uh, yeah, they were doing great. Then all of a sudden, boom, it, it, all of them went out of business. Motown, Stacks, Chess, uh, name it. it. The big companies got rid of all of them. Okay, so you but were it, on Stax Records and, and uh, James Ingram was on his own other label when you guys were doing a Dolomite soundtrack? Well, at that time, uh, nobody was under any label. Uh, we went to Los Angeles. We left Stax and went to Los Angeles, and he wasn't on any label. We were just doing the soundtrack okay. for Dolomite. Gotcha. And he was with you, know. you guys. How long was he with your band? From 1974 to... Oh, somewhere like uh, 76, um, somewhere in there, 76, early 77. Yeah, he was with us for quite a while. He started, actually, he started lead singing with us. Uh, he was a keyboard player, background singer uh, with, his, with, his, with his band. Yeah, he used to sing a song or two uh, per night, but uh, he didn't consider himself a singer he considered himself a keyboard player. And uh, he was a good keyboard player. And we were looking for a keyboard player and a singer at the same time, and he come along, he was perfect. You know, uh, I put him in my top three vocalists of all time. Top three of all time? Are of you all sure? time. Of all oh, time. James can sing anything. Yeah. How was his personality? Was he cool? Was he laid back? Was he angry? What type of person was he? I'm just curious <laughs> what type of person he was. He was he was uh he was pretty laid back. He had a way of saying things and doing things uh his way and and making it seem like it was your idea, you know. Oh, he was, okay. He was he was humble in the in a nice, arrogant little way. Or, in other words, James knew what he was doing, and uh, he didn't try to argue with you about nothing. He, he just uh, was. Pretty humble guy, but he, you know, he had a humble attitude, you know. But he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, you know. He wasn't a puppet or anything like that. He knew what he wanted to do, and he did it. And he was very talented, though. I mean, musically, he played uh, guitar, bass, drums. We did a gig one time in Canada. We got to the border, and a couple of members couldn't get in. The bass player and the trumpet player, they wouldn't let them in. And uh, so we did went to the gig and said, wow, what are we going to do? And, you know, James was with his humble self, uh, I can play the bass. And we look at him like, oh, yeah, but you got to sing. He said, I can do that, too. We did the whole gig, two weeks. Uh, no, actually, we did uh, about six weeks because we left there and went to another couple other places. So we did, I don't know, a few weeks up there. He played the bass and sang all his parts, all his songs, just like he wasn't even playing, you know. And, well, what uh, type honestly, of music was y'all? Was this original uh, music? We, we played uh, the regular top 40 uh, disco type music, 70s music. 
you know, everything, all the latest hits. We was a cover band, you know, Stevie Wonder, Ohio Players, Cool in the Gang, uh, you know, that type of stuff. He could sing Stevie Wonder stuff better than Stevie Wonder. Oh, wow. So that's, I was about to ask you, what's the best cover that he's done for you guys? That one of the best covers that he was singing? Oh, that's hard. They're all good. Uh, superstition, you know. He did. So he did all. all of it. So all Stevie. Yeah, Wonder. that's what Stevie. See, at, he he came with us at a perfect time. Uh, we are having some technical difficulties, so we are going to take a break with our sponsor, and we'll be right back. When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions, like how do I record an episode? How to get my show into all the apps people like to listen to? How do I make money from this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is the one-stop shop for recording, hosting your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free, and it's ridiculously easy to use. Even my chocolate blind self can use it. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I, um... I love it. It's simple. You know, I'm an airhead. So I just put things together, has all the tools you need. I can distribute this to all kind of platforms. I'm on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can have your podcast there. So if you always wanted to start your podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. To join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So, yeah, that was, uh, that's, we learned something about him. You know, when we record, when he records, he plays a lot of the instruments on his own tracks. You know. Well, he did back there, you know, we did back then we didn't all have a lot of money. So you did what you had to do. But I'm sure after his career got started with Quincy Jones, uh, he probably didn't even play the piano on his own songs. When did he meet Quincy Jones and how did he meet Quincy Jones? Well, James really, really didn't like traveling. He liked uh, recording. So he started uh, working for a production company and they would make demos and send them out. And uh, one of the demos went to Quincy Jones. And uh, he was singing on it. He started really singing. After he, after he finished with us, he, he realized that he was a, really a singer. And uh, so he would sing on, he would play and sing on, on the demos. And uh, Quincy Jones heard just once in a thousand ways, a hundred ways, uh, one of those songs on a dude album. And he told the, uh, but producer, he said, uh, the song is okay, uh, but I'll, I'll put it on the album if you bring me the guy who's singing it. He's got to sing it. And they brought in James, introduced him to James, and uh, then he, he did a couple of songs of hers, the producer, and he ended up being the dude on the dude album. And uh, he, he recorded with he recorded James. He didn't even know James played piano for a long time. 
Wow. And that's where things took off for him. Oh, yeah. The dude won so many Grammys, he broke broke record. At that time, it was the record for Grammy Awards in one year. James had Grammys and didn't even have a, his own stuff out yet. He started off with uh, Grammys. He later on did I'm Gonna Be There. Uh, he wrote that. It, for him and Michael McDonald sang it. And uh, he did. He wrote PYT for Michael Jackson. Um, he did a lot of things. All right. Well, Dude, did, you got a, any road stories about him? Like anything? You do crazy on the road? You got any stories? Or some oh, boy, or some wild stuff? Can you give me yeah. some dirt? Well, something? I can't give you nothing, but I got a lot of stories. Yeah. Can you give me one that you can speak of that was something y'all mm. did crazy? Something y'all did do crazy? I don't know anything. Well, I remember one time we were we were uh, going to a, a photo session. We had a we, we were going to uh, uh, take some photos, and we were all dressed up in our in our way out costumes, and we were driving. You know, we had a couple of cars, a van, and, and our cameraman. We were on our way to the site. Then the police pulled us over. Uh, it was strange. They pulled us over. It was some. It was some black cops in a black. And they pulled us over for me looking too black. And so we got out. I mean, I, I guess we might have looked like pimps or something because I mean we were all flashy and glittered up and everything. And they actually, uh, the guy had us with our standing outside the cars and and he's searching the car and asking us where we going, what we doing. And uh, my brother, he was the band leader. He said, uh, man, what, you, you can't do this. And the guy pulled his gun out and said, look, if somebody talk to him, I'll shoot him. And then our photographer was over there taking pictures of it. Wow. And he looked over at, at the photographer. He said, who is that? And, and James is the one who said, that's our publicity agent. <laughs> got in their cars and, and, and left. It got in their cars and took off. We got pictures of it. You well, somebody pictures? has. Pictures. Well, you don't know where they at. <laughs> you don't know where the pictures are at, do you? Huh? You don't know where the pictures are at, do you? Uh, somebody. No, I'm not sure, but I think I had them, but uh. I don't know where they went. Somebody in the band might have those pictures. Uh, we got pictures of, uh, yeah, because they took a picture. He, uh, Jackie had a beer can in his car. He put the beer can on top of the car. He said, take a picture of that. Then they get, then they got in the cars and left. But that, that cameraman scared him. And Jane, when James said that's our publicity agent, that's, that scared him away because he was taking pictures of the whole thing. And we actually wasn't doing anything. We were, we were on our way. They just pulled us over on Crenshaw yeah. in a gas station. Now this yeah. is the 70s, right? Like 75, 76? 74, 75. Yeah. Well, they still do that. Well, my other thing about James Ingram, they're going to wrap this up on him. Um, he did play keyboards for Ray Charles before he was famous. Well, he didn't actually play keyboards for Ray Charles on stage. He played. Uh, he he was he worked for Ray Charles Production Company. That was the product. That was one of the production companies he worked for. Ray Charles had his own 
production company. Okay. And uh, he had a studio, and he would record, uh, you know, songs for Ray Charles' company. I don't think that's the company he he submitted uh, the song that he got with Quincy Jones with. I think he might have switched companies. But, uh, yeah, he invited. In fact, uh, I played on some of the stuff that he, he recorded in his studio. I met Ray Charles. Ray Charles would walk in the studio like he could see because he knew it was his studio. So he knew where everything was. So he just walk in and start talking, go behind the board, sit down and play with the buttons and stuff. And I was like, wow, can he? he, he I think he, I think Ray Charles can see. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's where he, that's he didn't actually play on stage with him. Uh, okay, so he played, in... played. You know, Rich Charles played piano. He didn't need anybody else playing with him. You know. Well, that was in one of his credits, so I just brought it up, and it said that he played keyboards for Ray Charles. You just clarified that he just played for one of his production companies, but he did have interaction with Ray Charles because you got to see Ray Charles as well. well you know, I, I I've been watching. My good friend Harvey Skills and, and another good friend of mine that passed recently, and I'm looking at the news and their bios. It, you know, they're not accurate. I don't know who gives them all this information, but, you know, it's not that accurate. Like, even James in his resume, his bio, I'm, the band that, that, that connected him staying in Los Angeles until he met Quincy Jones and Ray Charles, we're not even mentioned, you know. Yeah, you're not uh, mentioning James because, Ingram's uh, Wikipedia page either. No, not at all. And and we're 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 the ones who told James he was a singer and made him sing. We didn't make him sing, but we said, "Hey, you're the singer. You're the lead singer." Right. And uh, he said, "No, I'm not." And we, we said, "Yes, you are." And then after you heard us sing, he said, "Okay, I am." So that was sarcasm. That was a uh, humor in there. Hello. Oh, oh yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Yep, that was funny. Yeah. Okay. statement, though. You said, "Yeah, I didn't think I sung that good either." Then I heard you guys singing, and then I thought maybe I am a pretty good singer. And he sang, and we did a whole album. We got a whole album on James, uh, un unreleased material on James. You know, because he, he was in the band, so and he was singing lead, and uh, yeah, some good stuff. That's why I say he's my number one singer because I I heard what he can really do. He really stretched out a, a cover band because, uh, like I've always said, a cover band is better than a a star because a cover band can sing. Uh, James, for instance, he could sing everybody's song, every hit that came out. We did all the hits. And every one, he could sing them. Whereas you take uh, 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 Keith Sweat or uh, any other guys, they sing their stuff perfectly. But let the, let's, let Keith Sweat sing Stevie Wonder or let Stevie Wonder try to do Barry White. I mean, you know, cover well, I band. Got, I got a question about the cover band then. Okay. Let's say Keith Sweat doesn't mm -hmm. want to sing Stevie Wonder and all that. What are the benefits of being a cover band and singing other people's music? Do you become successful? What does it lead for you being a cover band? Is it, it means that you're working and you're making money 
until you can be do your own like James. He he made a living in a cover in cover bands until he got a chance to do something different. You know. What it means is you're not you're not working at a job and not honing your craft. Because as a cover band, you're you're getting better and better and better and better all the time. So whenever you do whatever it is you want to do, you want to record. Even if you record, like 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 uh, American Idol. Okay, they go up there, they get a record deal, they make all this money, but they go on stage. They're amateurs. They haven't they haven't done it. The first thing they did was get famous, you know. So a cover band is not. It may not be your your ultimate goal, but that's what makes you the best. That just keeps you uh, fresh, updated, keeping you in shape. This is like a, a basketball player. Right. You could you could you could sit around and wait for the big contract. You get the big contract, you go out there, and and the, and the worst player on the team will run you raggedy. Right. Because you've been sitting around on the bench waiting. Well, nowadays, you know, it's about being famous first and then your craft. So it's a little backwards right. nowadays. So now you have to gain all these with social media and everything else. You gain all your followers, your people, your liking, you become famous. And then you have to show your skills, which is backfiring on a lot of people because then they get exposed. A lot of people get disappointed when they see their idols go out there because they're, they're amateurs. Right. You know, Glassstein, the Pips, James Brown, the OJs, all these people, they they performed for 10 years before they made it. And so when they made it, that's why they was they, they had staying power. That's why you went to see you went to see them. They didn't even have to have a song out. You go see them because they show fantastic. You know, I can take Turner. They 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 worked. You know, they didn't have a lot of big hits, but you can't, you went to see them. They made their money live. You don't have to make you don't have to make a dime on your records. Uh, you could you make your money live. Back in those days, you made more money performing than you did on a record. And record now it's the give you all your- now it's the opposite. Everybody has to go on tour because the record sales, there's no, re- there's all the streaming and everything else that's going on. People are not buying yeah. records like that. So they have to go on tour. They have right. to. And that's, it's a little different from back in the day where they're making other money from the records. Now they have to make money on these tours or break even or something. All right. Well, let's move on to um, Harvey Scales. Now, I know you said the news and all that have been having it wrong. So I'm going to go ahead and read what the Milwaukee Journal has written about Harvey Scales. And then we can talk from there. Harvey Scales, this is the um, headline, Milwaukee's Godfather of Soul, writer of the hit Disco Lady, has died at 77. And then it says Harvey Scales was dubbed Milwaukee's Godfather of Soul and across a six-decade career he lived up to the title. The singer played swinging gigs with his band, The Seven Sounds, well into the 70s, including a Summerfest show as recent as 2017. He co-wrote the 1976 platinum hit, Disco Lady, for Johnny Taylor, and had another hit, Love Itis, covered by the Jay Giles Band. He did work for the legendary soul labels, Chess Records, and Stack Records, and was even sampled by the Beastie Boys. 
Scale 77 died Monday afternoon in Milwaukee Hospital after first becoming ill in December with kidney failure and pneumonia. Based in Atlanta, Scales was in Milwaukee for medical reason and was able to spend the last weeks visiting uh, family and friends. And then um, they go on to talk about uh, his son, talks about his, his music. Um, Harvey was born in Arkansas in 1941. And he went to North Division, that's what they said, and Roosevelt Middle School. And I believe Harvey is the, I, I might get this wrong. Didn't he, isn't he the first to own his, um, help me with this. Don't he own his, something with Disco Lady. Is there something like he made a, a, a you gotta help me with this, man. Something with Disco Lady. <laughs> well, Disco Lady was the first certified Platinum 45 in history. That's yeah, the only thing are... first about that. He, I don't think Harvey was the first owner of anything else. Ray Charles was the first owner of his own masters. Uh, so I don't know what that could mean. Okay, well, I'll, I'll keep digging and figure it out. But you can tell me what you know about Harvey. Is that pretty much true, or did they get something wrong? That was a good write-up there. That All that was pretty accurate there. That's the most accurate one I've heard. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, this is it. Okay, this says the first song certified as platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America. So you were right. That's what that was, I guess, in 1976. Right. And you mentioned Stax Records, which you was just talking about. And they talked about Chess Records, which you were talking about earlier. And weren't you part of the Seven Sounds? Yeah, not the original Seven Sounds, but yeah, I played with Harvey at Seven Sounds. He had he had uh, new Seven Sounds mixed in with old players, original Seven Sounds. Uh, in fact, my band right now, I, I have a Rudy Jacobs on guitar. He's original Seven Sounds. Okay. So yeah. how did you meet Harvey? Where did you guys meet? How did this start? Oh, I've met him at one of his gigs. Uh, oh, we in fact, we did a gig together back when uh, we were in. Uh, it was a club here called The Turning Point, and uh, it was brand new. It was state of the art. They had lights coming, receding into the ceiling. That was new. Beams was shooting off, down off on the 20, floor. Off of 20th and Father Light. Off, off, right there on Pondelac. Um, That's tw about twentieth and Pondelac in that area. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, and uh, and we were the hottest team band. Uh, I guess we might have even been out of high school, just out of high school, and they were the they were the hot Seven Sounds, Harvey and the Seven Sounds. They were just the hottest band in the Midwest, They're actually in the country. And uh, so we opened, we opened uh, Turning Point. We might have been the second act there, but it was somewhere in the beginning. First or second act, Satin Dow, Milwaukee's own Satin Dow from the uh, Duke Ellington Orchestra and uh, Cricket. Uh, they were the MCs and, and uh, you know, of the show. And that's when I actually, I guess, met Harvey. I might have, no, nah, I probably knew him before then. I can't remember. I was, I was a teenager when I met Harvey. Do you remember what year this was? 
as a turning point. That should have been 60, probably 68. 68. Six, no, okay. no, maybe 69. 69, I think it was. 69 or 70, somewhere in there. 69. 68 or 69. Not too good with memories on times. Yeah, you got. But I need you to give some years so we, so people get a gist of, you know, what era was, we talking about. It had to be. Well, let me see. Was I still in high school? I think it was 69. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> you, have, you ain't got <laughs> Everything happened in 69. Okay, cool. We just go with 69. We'll go with 69. Cool. And then, yeah, well, let's say 69. Cool. Let's check the archives and find out when Turning Point opened. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do some fact checking and I'll get it all together once we get done with yeah, this. Okay. Yeah, so we, we we're gonna it. go with sixty nine. Okay. Sixty nine. Yeah. Well I played with Harvey up in Oakland, you know, uh in the seventies after the after uh the man I was with broke up, the the, the different bag broke up in seventy around seventy seven. Uh I moved up to Oakland, me and uh, one of the new breed, Ivan Howard, trumpet player, we moved up to Oakland and joined his band. In fact, he sent for us uh, Impulse AD. He had a band called Impulse AD. We ended up with five horns, and uh, it was oh man, that band was hot. We was in Oakland. That's when he was riding uh, on those big checks from uh, Disco Lady. Oh, okay. And uh, he had a production company called um, uh, can't think of it right now, but he had a big, he had a nice big office, and uh. Rehearsal room, and we would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse until we got really, really tight. When first show was uh, we opened for uh, Ray Charles in Stockton, and we were so good. Ray Charles got mad. Oh, oh yeah, we 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 was kicking because we could dance. We danced like the like the new breed and a different bag. We could dance like them and and play and. The, Guys in the band could sing. He had a seven sound in the band. What? Original seven sound. Ben Petrie played with us. And, uh, you know, he could really sing. And Jeff Williams, who actually was not original seven sound, but he was the first one to replace the first guy who left with Stonewall. The drummer left them in the 70s. And, and Jeff took over. And he was in the band. And uh, it was great. We had a good time. We uh, Oakland. We we was uh, the talk of the town in Oakland. And uh, and then after that, uh, I moved back down to Los Angeles. But uh, that was a great time. It sounds like it. You keep talking about it. Are you gonna give us yeah. some insight? Or as I said, it was just a great time in Oakland. It's a great time. Well, that's when he. That's when he recorded his. He had. Harvey had two albums out. That's when he was super, super hot. So it was like he was at a peak of his that career. Was, that was the name of the last album, Hot Foot. <laughs> yeah, he was hot. She's like, what? I said, that is my Uber driver. He said something about coming to the show. I wasn't quite sure what he said, to be honest. I don't know if he said he was driving slow or he was coming to the show. His accent was way too thick. I didn't understand him. And she was like, that's your Uber? I said, yeah, that's my Uber driver. I said, she's like, that's awkward. 
So I didn't think nothing of it. I'm a chocolate blonde. Hashtag only me. This is normal stuff to me. Well, the owners and security, they were super alarmed. They was like, oh, no, that's weird. We're going to watch him, and we're going to take you back to the hotel. Man, they got that Indian food they make there. I'd be shocked. I get it all the time. It tastes, I mean, it really tastes authentic. Like, it's, I don't know how they do it. They got so much stuff in that store. Yeah. That's good stuff, though. But not all of it's good. Of course. Not everything is good. We know that. Yeah. I'm just saying I like Trader Joe's. What you going to tell me? Something wrong with Trader Joe's? What's up? Happened? Hey, Joe. Take I that mean, from me? Takashi was talking about Joe, too. <laughs> and uh, and hiring them, they would smoke all of them. There's only a few that they didn't just uh, run off the stage. And that's James Brown, Temptations, uh, 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 and Tina Turner, the old Jays. Probably only a couple more. The rest of them were like, I'm glad Harmonium was here, you know, and they were stars. So, what did you hook? What did you link back up with Harvey? So, you was with Harvey in Oakland, and you were back to to come prepared and break down, going a little bit deeper. But for the people who are listening now who's curious about all this, do you have anything you can recommend to get them started or anything they can read or they can go somewhere? Or to a website or anything to get them going. Yeah. If they're curious and want to do all this plant based, vegan, vegetarian, keto, but I know you're vegan and plant based. Do you have anywhere where they can go? Yeah, there's a couple documentaries I can recommend. Okay. What the Health being one of them. Okay. And, um, you know, the classic Food Inc. Okay, so what we'll do, because we're going to start uploading everything up on the website or everything we talk about, because we can't get into everything as depth as we want to. 